0: On this episode of the Whack Attack podcast, we're talking about our favorite tools and accessories for cooking in the kitchen and cooking outside that help us save time on our meal prep, as well as help us cook delicious food with minimal amounts of time so we can maintain and achieve our healthy and active lifestyles. Enjoy the episode. All right. Let's let's get it started. Let's talk for that, dude. All right. Okay. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Whack Attack podcast. Um last time we were here Curtis was talking to us with producer Scott he decided to hop on the screen about um you know practical advice to sustainable and lifelong health and fitness and you know wrapping up that episode <laughs> they didn't really get to get into like diet or meal prep or how important you know the uh, sustainability of uh, basically maintaining your nutrition yeah. is right and so that's what we thought we'd have a great episode on today. Um, you know, uh, specifically we're going to talk about three segments. That's uh, uh, cooking tools and time saving tips. You know, we're also going to talk about uh, sourcing of foods and making sure that those are going to have some uh, decent form of quality. And then we're also going to talk about the third side, which is. Uh, some time-saving bulk meal prep tips and tricks and things. Alan is a uh, king at that. Uh, I'm, exci- I'm excited. I'm yes. excited. Yeah, I'm excited to yeah, hear. Yeah, shout hear out about to so. my wife for for making me get there. But a lot of people don't know this about me. I, I I did four years of culinary in high school, and I um I was seriously looking to go into like Le Cordon Bleu and Johnson and Wales, which are culinary colleges. Like th- these are things that I I seriously considered because in high school I really liked to eat, and you also had an affinity and, for and, for
1: good quality i I don't want to call it high dining but like you know you you had a you were not going just to you know mcdonald's and picking up a big mac you were sourcing out good quality restaurants and making it a a, kind of an excursion right absolutely
0: at the time i had worked in a restaurant and served tables i had also ran the uh student catering service um at, at the high school we went to and we had catered large events for like districts and school boards and you know, companies that were either affiliated with like the booster at that time. And I'm surprised,
1: I'm surprised you didn't go and test out any of ARC's cause Guy Fieri uh, or Fieri. Sorry. My bad. Um, came from ARC. Yeah. And, and pumped a lot of money into their culinary program and, but, but again, you know, you've always had a, a good affinity for the experience associated with the meal. You're not just like, you know, putting randomness on a plate and here you go. It's like that presentation. There's that that opulent scale that goes into it that creates a that experience that makes the food taste better. Come
0: Absolutely. On. And for me, I had always really loved to eat. And so loving to eat meant you had to love how to cook. And so I fell in love with cooking because of that. And also what I found was like, wait, you can go to restaurants and you can buy really good food. And then like, I sort of developed this thing to like go out to nice restaurants and, you know, have a good meal. And, um, yeah, that's something that's always been really near and dear to my heart. And so naturally being able to come and talk about how can I replicate this at home, (laughs) how can I take this
1: experience and food and put it on our own plate every day?
0: Right. And, and for me, it was, it's been the last, I don't know what, uh, 14, 15 years of doing this. And, um, You know, the biggest thing that I found is time, right? Time is always the issue. You know, if I have a Sunday available and Katie's watching the daughter and I got three or four hours to cook, I can cook something really magnificent and great. But the reality is most times we don't have a ton of time, right? And so, you know, you have to think about how can you be able to get that experience, that really quality meal, And also not have to sink a bunch of time because you might not have it. You might be tired, et cetera. And I don't think people are actually looking at the raw cost from a time and
1: monetary perspective of what their meal consists of. There's the shopping, like deciding that you want to cook a meal, find a recipe. Maybe you already have it. Right. There's this like this workflow you have to go through. And each one of those little processes has time. So let's let's take a look at sourcing the food. Right. Or is it where are we at? cooking tools oh time saving tips all right we're yeah you uh, let me uh, way down uh, i'm like, the I'm, like I'm like let's go i'm like let's go down <laughs> further um, yeah. yeah my my bad um yeah. yeah
0: yeah i digress the uh the tools have been a very helpful part of saving time yeah and for me i've looked at it as like you said you you put a bunch of time into cooking like Correct, yeah. p- like there's 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 no way to get around that whether that's Grocery shopping or prep, or cleanup, up. Yeah. you know, th- these things are very time consuming. And so um, actually those were the three areas that I looked at when I was considering, okay, what appliances, tools, accessories do you need, excuse me, in the kitchen to uh, really be able to minimize the amount of time it takes to do your prep work, your cooking and your cleanup. And so after the last, you know, 13, 14 years of uh, doing a, uh, a ton of cooking myself and at home with my wife, what I have found is that there are some pretty staple tools that you need in the kitchen if you are going to make a consistent and healthy relationship with cooking your own quality food at home. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost for me is a 36-inch skillet. This one I got probably in the last couple of years. This is the most time-saving tool that i have and so if i can talk about you know r- maybe ranking these in order of time savings the t- the skillet is 36 inches wide now is it the size that is the, it's the size okay so the size does matter it is really no but <laughs> no but it, it, it's it's the primary <laughs> driver it's not saying like yeah absolutely this this the size is a big deal because a lot of people have the stovetops tops. That you have that cast iron skillet on. And it's just like a little small skillet that maybe you can cook some bacon or eggs with. And I've cooked on those before. Mm -hmm. But the skillet I'm talking about is a 36-inch skillet, and it it goes outside, right? And it's got a grease trap and all of this stuff. But what I've found is you really need at least two feet of skillet uh, width to be able to cook in bulk and now if you're cooking for us cooking for a small family or if you're cooking uh in bulk prep uh for yourself or for meal prep the amount of space is what really saves you the time yeah because for example i was able to cook just this past weekend i was able to cook about 35 chicken thighs at one time pretty sizable and i was able to have them on four different burner zones and I was able to cook them with different seasoning and different sauces. And so I had an ability to keep them separated from each other. So the flavors didn't get mixed. And so when you're talking about, you know, saving time, the ability for me to cook, you know, 30 plus chicken thighs roughly equates to, for my wife and I, about a week's worth of meals. Yeah. And so now if you consider this, like cooking your... Uh, base foods for meals, whether that's uh, a chicken or a beef or a rice or vegetables or whatever can be universally used across the recipes that you're selecting. We're going to get into that later. Yeah. That saves you a significant amount of time. Mm -hmm. And so I can prep once, I can cook once, and I can clean once. Yeah, absolutely. Versus if you're on a stovetop, yeah. You know, you just have a big skillet pan and let's say you wanted three different flavors like I had, you were going to have to prep about three times, you know, uh, prep or clean two times because you got to clean the skillet and everything else. And then you got to cook two to three times more. Right. Yeah. And so for me, I always just thought about it like. My tools, you know, need to save me time because time is the number one resource that we're all up against cooking quality meals. Yeah. So that's why the 36-inch skillet is great for me. Blackstone has a really good one. You can buy, I think they're like 300 bucks or 400 bucks for a cheaper one. I have the culinary version. It's about $1,200. It's got drawers and uh, shelves and everything, and it's super nice. It has a lid. Um, I I would highly encourage people if they have space and they're um, invested in in cooking a lot at home and they're eating, uh, you know, a a decent amount of a a diet that is consistent where you can bulk prep and do, you know, four to five days worth of meals. That is that is a great tool.
1: Yeah. Now, now what do you do to combat uh, kind of and again, some people may not have these issues and, and some people may not even like to you know, do bulk prepping because, you know, there's the snackers who may not want the same thing every single day and they're looking for quick, you know, tips and tricks. Um, Do you create variation with different sauces or what's your approach to, I don't, I don't want to call it food burnout. There's probably some term for it, but like, you know, kind of I think food burnout. We can label it as
0: that. It's a great
1: question. I'm I'm just kind of curious on what are you doing to elevate your, your meals just to make them a little bit more unique, if anything.
0: Well, I definitely think sauce is important. Okay. Right? You can source a bunch of really quality sauces. You want to, you know, make sure that you're getting uh, minimal ingredient sauces. Or uh, making your own. or Just like like mayo. Or making your own. Right? Yeah. I also think that variety comes in different textures. Oh, 100%. And so, you know, the, the grill, like the skillet is a grill. You know what I mean? But... I also have a smoker, right? A smoker is a very different type of flavor. And uh, also, there's air fryers.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can also, I mean, looking, it, at, looking at Katz's Deli, for example, on what they're doing with their meat, they're they're <laughs> roasting it, they're smoking it, they're steaming it. There's so many different variations
2: to add additional characteristics to the food. Correct. Correct. Hold, hold on. Can you guys hear me? Yep. Yeah. All right, so... We just dabbled into sauces for a second. We I, should we yeah. should continue on to that for a second. Um, and then I just want to get back to tools. We did uh, the 36-inch skillet for me, tool number one. It Maybe that wasn't yeah. your priority list, but yeah, I'm just, just saying. Maybe just
0: keep that in front of you, Wally, and, and, and then we could,
1: yeah, you my, know. My, my thing with the sauces was I, I'm, I'm a snacker. So, yeah. for example, I'll have prepped lettuce. I'll have a handful of sauces that I've created, and then I'll have some canned uh, chicken from Costco as a quick snack, for example. It takes almost no time. I can easily just jump into the fridge, but I also have all of the food prepped. So when I order the food, when it comes in, I am essentially going through the process of prepari- you know, preparing it oh, yeah. for storage. Um, and that, for me, has been my biggest time saver because then, for me, I can be a little bit of a snacker without having to put all the thought into planning out the next
0: you know week of my life where tomorrow I don't know what's going to happen. In addition to the sauces, is also spices to build on what you were saying. Yeah, I have a whole cabinet dedicated to spices, and so if you're talking about saving time, I recommend that you get as many pre-made spices that you can in bulk. So whether that's carne asada, Kinder, or Kinder's a good, company. Kinders is a is a good is a good manufacturer that has it, and they got like. Uh, buttery steakhouse and they have, you know, uh, garlic, uh, garlic, garlic butter, and they have salt, pepper and garlic. But if you can get these large bulk seasonings
1: that are that are that are not just single ingredients, they're essentially combined, right?
0: They're usually going to have five, six, seven different seasonings in it, right? That's going to be the single best way to save time, period. There's no questions about it. Uh, and, And also add flavor. But the other thing that I have found is this kind of gets into, you know, bulk prep strategies and time efficiency is when you get the food from the grocery store, whether it's delivered to your house or whether you go and get it yourself, you're going to have to take those ingredients out and you're going to have to go put them into wherever they're stored, whether it's the pantry or whether it's the fridge, etc., And what I found is the things that go in the fridge or the freezer, it is better for me to season those at that time and then put them in the fridge pre seasoned pre-marinated. So now you start talking about flavors and textures. Huge huge time-saving hack because. Right. Yeah. And so flavors are now solved and I only put the food away once. Mm Mm-hmm. Right there's just a small extra step because everything's already out. You don't have to go get
1: it, take it out. Correct, and especially you know
0: if chicken or certain you, right
1: sanitization side, it, you're handling it
0: once. Yeah, That's you're it. you're handling it once. You're not yep. handling it twice. And so having big gallon bags is especially reusable gallon bags. Yeah, is uh, really really important. And so for like if you have chicken breasts or chicken thighs. Or, say, for example, this is one of my favorite hacks, which is uh, like flap steaks. Okay. Yeah. So, flap steaks are really thin steaks. They've got a decent fat profile on them. They're beef. And you can marinate those up well. And you get a lot of meat for a low price per pound. Nice. And so, you can get this big flap steak. I mean, it's literally measured in feet wide by yeah. feet tall. And you can get that thing rolled up and put in a bag. And now you get that whole thing seasoned. And I also, I'm going to jump in
1: here and because my process is also instead of the reusables i i do a vac seal uh to get ready for the sous vide but my thought process with yours is is very similar but then with that marination time you can get lower quality cuts of meat and then play the time game especially being prepared and create a better more tender cut of meat or a you know Yes, meat, I, guess. I
0: agree 100%. I, I wouldn't agree on it being a lower quality of meat. I would say it's lower in popularity. N- yeah, d- different cuts. Right. And uh, if we're yeah. talking
2: about financially, so he is yeah. right that if fat
0: content yeah if
2: we were choosing a, a choice of meat that wasn't the most expensive but in the way you prepare it season it you right can amp eat,
0: that up to a hundred goes a long way it, it goes does. a long way that's all yeah. yeah. that's all because it, let's yeah. go down a rabbit hole here i didn't mean to even you know a, a lower like a usda choice you know choice and prime the only difference is the fat and the barbling they still come from commercial cattle right commercially farmed cattle so the animals largely still treated the same um that meat still doesn't have many, it doesn't have any, hopefully, preservatives. And there's usually very minimal amounts of cross-contamination, if any, like uh, microplastics or um, uh, pesticides, et cetera. So even a, a lower choice of meat and then being able to marinate it, season it, et cetera, you're still going to get that really good flavor. And so those are some time-saving tips and tricks that like we do when we get the groceries at the house. But now if we sort of go back up into the uh, cooking tools and time-saving tips, right? That's really where having an air fryer is very important. You know, having a traditional barbecue is important if you want those nice sear marks. And uh, I use an accessory called grill grates. Okay. And grill grates, you can put these on the skillet too. And this is what I really like about the skillet is you can actually turn the skillet into a traditional barbecue if you buy these grill grate accessories. Interesting. And what they are is it's a flat piece of metal and it's got about an inch and a half tall grates. And they're basically just uh, like spaced you know an inch out and they got a bunch of lines on them. So okay. now if I want that nice seared look on a steak, That's nice. Right, I don't have to have a large second cooking appliance outside with a barbecue. I actually just use a skillet, and I have this grill grate on, it and I can close the lid. That's why I got the skillet with the lid. Yeah,
1: and, and then that's a culinary one comes with a lid. Probably the right. right. Okay,
0: and the grill grate has this really nice uh, spatula. So it's basically like a fork oh. spatula. The fork is about nice. that big. The handle is about a foot and a half long, and now it gets into all of the little grooves, and you can lift the steak up. So you can lift them all up perfectly, even if it's kind of stuck to it and then just flip it over. And so what I like about that is, A, it's getting more of a full heat cook because it's on a very limited amount of hot surface. That's nice. right? And then you get that nice aesthetically pleasing look because it puts the grill lines in it. So I can pick up the meat, I can flip it, so I can do a cross grill on it so it's got the X's, or I can have all the lines going one side if it's a quick sear, like a high fat steak. Um, So for me, You know, those are some of the tools that I have. Another time saver, for sure. That help you. And equipment saver. With bulk. Correct. And then they also help you with time. Yeah. And the air fryer is a beautiful thing, too, because if you do happen to find, like, a quality vegetable that's organic, you know, that's frozen, like Costco has some of those. um, Or if there's other uh, um, ingredients that are in your diet air fryer is a great way to get that nice crispy crunchy fried uh sort of texture but without all of the um health issues with the additional oils and so that that has been one of my favorite but i would say my ultimate in-house tool for time savings is definitely the pressure cooker yeah that is that is single-handedly my personal favorite and that
1: that yeah it makes it makes a lot of sense for me, my biggest time saver is having a good quality knife. I feel like if if I had one, if I had to go out in the woods with one tool, I feel like I could I could survive in some capacity
2: with a knife. Here comes uh, a. I could agree with. Hey, you here comes a little yeah. uh, a little um, random segment. Let's list top three kitchen tools. Alan, you start. You just said pressure cooker is your number one, or am I speaking out of turn?
0: Uh, no, skillet
2: is number one. Yeah. Okay, so you literally just said pressure cooker was your number one for uh, indoor, for <laughs> oh just yeah. I'm curious, that, <laughs> indoor <yeah>. outdoor <laughs> tools. Okay, no, that's that's. I forgot. Okay, so <laughs> okay, well now I, I
0: new rules. Uh,
2: let's do indoor top three.
0: Oh, for sure. Uh, pressure pressure cooker, cast iron skillet. Okay, so a sixteen inch cast iron skillet for the stove with a high side wall, probably like two inches. And then my third favorite is probably going to be a food processor.
2: Okay. okay. Now I'm going to switch over to Wally. Top three, is, is knife your number one? No, no.
1: Uh, number one would probably be uh, zero water. Um, I feel like uh, water impacts quite a bit of things we, we cook. So I like having really pure, solid food first base level right Uh, i like that um and then a second would be a knife i feel like if you don't have a knife you really can't do much in a kitchen um and i definitely think a good uh frying pan something like a hex clad
2: um like not a skillet but like a frying pan hold on we have to go backwards you totally skipped over you don't just have any knife right people people can cook with knives. you have what kind of knives Let's, Uh, let's talk about this. they're
1: just they're shun knives from like kershaw the same company that we like Okay, Zero I'm just tolerance. saying that
2: there's plenty of people that are cooking good food that yeah. have decent knives. <laughs> <laughs> Your knives, which I've used, yeah. um, be careful, folks. But also, yeah. like, yeah, you're you're not joking around with those. Yeah, buy once, yeah. cry once. Um, but a, but
1: a good quality knife is is in a, uh, a good quality frying pan. Man, mm-hmm. like good water, good knife, good, good pan. frying pan. I feel like, do you're set.
0: Yeah. Water my top three. is a very underrated ingredient. I
2: hey guys, yeah. let me say this. I'm sorry for hijacking, but I like the difference there. It's like the two of you <laughs> could combine. You know, it's like he's got all the machinery and and, and whatnot. And then while he's got the basics down, um, anyways, so back, back to where we were on the list. Well,
0: I could I could also agree with you on the knife. I think I've been really spoiled in that my knife set at home. Um, every time you uh put the knife in and out of the housing sharpens it's got a sharpener so every slot knife block has a deburring and a sharpener on it that's nice and so when i pull it out i just go in like you know six or seven times bless you yeah and the knife like especially cutting like yams or sweet potatoes yeah is incredible yeah, you know, and it's very consistent. But a lot of people, I don't think, uh, take good care of their knives, and that makes a world of difference when you're prepping food. And you, you like you don't think about it saving time, but like a great example is a tomato. Yeah, you know, if you're cutting up a tomato, you know, how many times are you sort of breaking the skin versus slicing the skin nicely? A very nice knife is going to allow you to cut through mm-hmm. that like butter.
1: Yeah, or
2: or cut through bone yeah
0: right bl- yeah like, well, like, if like, you're prepping meat I, for I, sure I, absolutely
1: but also it won't mark your knife and you don't have to you know
2: yeah blade maintenance and i just know for cutco uh you can always send them back to get resharpened right Which they just, have like a lifetime membership but anyways yeah. a knife night a nice knife nice de- knife yeah it does go definitely a long way.
0: the vibe 100 yeah and so for me like those are my cooking tools you sort of named off yours yeah right but i i sort of have just been in the like the mindset of time efficiency
1: see and that's where i'm less on the time of it well i sorry i am definitely conscious of the time efficiency but i also am um like really only like six years ago i had a kitchen that i could really control right right to, to a certain degree so it's kind of all relatively new Uh, versus yourself and, like, you know, with your brothers. You guys are – your mom needs help cooking. You're in there. Like, you're (laughs) rocking it. You know what I mean? Like, where where my mom's, like, out of the kitchen. Like, I'm working with chicken right now. This needs to be, like setting up for surgery in our kitchen like you had the there, there's mayo on this this could be disease worthy like let's get like very con- to a degree where it was well i'm just not even Almost go in like there.
0: hypochondriac yeah
1: but but it, i'm just gonna stay away i'll focus on other things and we'll go play with some computers instead yeah. i don't need i don't need to get into this cooking stuff you know what i mean oh i i definitely hear so, you on and, that. and also a doordash was another
2: big one hey a segue real quick uh where did you get your knives was that a wedding gift is wet wedi- or or I'm saying your knives or no? That wasn't that and undi- how did not have to do with a gift. You just simply bought nice knives. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Alex, essentially every like Christmas or birthday, I'll get a new one because I very specialized of like what specific knives I want. Oh, uh, it wasn't a whole set, yeah. It's no. been oh, okay, yeah, definitely. Yeah, not a not a whole set because well, I, I like of, I like expensive. I like they I like are, so, of the, they are the, ja- the Japanese style, like versus a chef knife to go to the the t- t- there's a certain name for it, but there's differences that I wouldn't just want a baseline set that gives you.
0: Oh yeah, you. yeah. Hey, do you want me a favor, bring this thing, uh, bring the mic uh, uh, parallel to your face. It's like all kind of crooked. Oh uh, yeah, there you go, there you go. All yeah. right, Alan. But what about outside
2: tools? Can I hear about those, or do you not want to tell me? Is it a secret?
0: Well, I mean, we already covered off on the outside tools. This, your top three. Okay. This well, the the skillet is uh, my favorite. Okay. By far. Thirty-eight, you know. yeah. 36-inch skillet. And uh, you know, have the 36-inch skillet and then put the grill grates on it. You know, those are my top two favorite it's just so, tools for outside. But it's the so smoker. Multi, it's so
1: multi-purposeful, though. Right. And that's where, and also, you know, think about this. Space is a huge commodity for uh, some some people. And, and again, not especially every, they live in a townhouse or, or apartment. apartment. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. This is you, what I'm saying. Like, you know, these other types of, I mean, I'm not trying to say this out loud, but I watched a small documentary on George Foreman. Uh, not not that long ago that broke down his um, play with that George Foreman grill. But like, oh. you know, what are, what are some tips for people if they're looking to kind of get that grill without the outside space?
0: Yeah, and if you look at the skillet, one of the nice things about the skillet is the flames are very minimal, right? And they're under this 36-inch cast iron skillet. And so if you are in a place that's got an overhang or... Uh, like a pergola or something like that, you can actually cook underneath. Oh, that's that cool. With okay. the skillet, because the skillet is not going to be uh generating significantly high amounts of heat, and like sm- the barbecue and smoke. is, and it, and it produces smoke. Oh, it does. Okay, but the main thing is like when you have a traditional barbecue, let's say you're cooking like tri-tip on it, well, that fat is dripping down into the barbecue where the flames are, and then those flames can be getting hotter and cooking that oil and everything else. And that's why you can open up the barbecue and you can have a little bit of a grease fire. The nice thing about the skillet is that there's a grease trap. Yeah. And so all the grease is draining into that grease trap. And so you, you have much more of a controlled and prescribed cook. Um, and whereas the barbecue is a little bit more of the wild west. Let's talk about some other of the outdoor tools I like. Now these are not in the name of, um, time savings okay okay when i have time to cook yeah these are my favorite items to cook with one the charcoal weber barbecue okay okay there is in my opinion no flavor better than a nicely cooked charcoal steak right uh, not, a, not a charcoal steak, but a steak cooked with charcoal. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's different ways that you can cook with a Weber barbecue. And, you know, for some people who don't cook with charcoal barbecues might not know this, but you definitely need a spot where there's not going to be stuff overhead that you can catch on fire. Right. Or an Eve that's going to, you know, maybe spontaneously combust if you're right underneath it. But, um, what I really like about the charcoal barbecue is it's got that smoke flavor, but it's also got a direct or an indirect heat. So if you're cooking something like a tri-tip or some, a piece of meat that's larger, um, you know, you can put all the coals on one half, and then you can put the meat on the other half, and then now you are you you're getting the whole thing up to temperature because it's in that you know four to five hundred degree range or three hundred fifty to four hundred degree range, but it's not directly on top of. Now, what I also like about the charcoal grill is the exact opposite you can get those coal or that coal so hot or the charcoal not the coal the briquettes yeah, yeah, yeah. you can the get charcoal the charcoal briquettes yeah. yeah the briquettes so hot in the chimney when you start them like get them all glowing red hot and then dump them all on one side or right in the center and then quickly cover that and open the uh, vents so that's getting full vents and the fire is breathing full and then you can go get a nice fatty steak like a new york or a prime rib, and you can put that thing on there for three or four minutes aside, and sear it, and it's getting seared, and it's so hot that it to me is like this perfect medium rare steak. Yeah, and cause you can't. I, I was going to ask you, what, what are you doing with like temperatures
1: and stuff? Because uh, when I was looking, thinking of, of like my cool gadgets for outside or cool tools that I need for me, it's you know precision, right? So like, I need to know my telemetry. From like the the barbecue or... well, it, that's why you bang, like the sous so much. Correct, but with your blocks, uh, with your skillet, you have four uh, heat very like heat area, correct locations. Does it just dis- digitally display the uh, temperature, or is it a is it a one through ten? It's scale? analog.
0: Okay, it's analog. Right, so it's same the same thing, but that's why the charcoal barbecue is so hard to master because you only have one unit of measurement. It's an art. And that is
1: touching the steak with your finger and getting that, you know, medium you have a a thermometer thermometer
0: gauge on top of the cover of the charcoal barbecue.
1: Okay,
0: Yeah, the Weber barbecue. And so you put that on and basically you have to know to leave it on for so long to get it to the actual temperature. But you also have to know when you pull that lid off, how much temperature do you lose every time and and. What's well, the temperature difference for how long you keep the lid off? Yeah, and so for me, that's why I said you have to have a lot of time when you cook on the charcoal uh, barbecue because you have to start it the charcoal correctly, you have to get the charcoal down correctly, you have to then get the lid on and let it heat up, and then you have to use a certain amount of charcoal for however much cook time you have. And so for me, I love the charcoal barbecue. So I was thinking for, about it myself for either yeah. a really slow cook, yeah, or a vacation cook, or a very fast, very hot cook. That makes sense. And there is nothing quite like it. I can't explain what it is. It's just that the texture of the meat is like kind of nice and crispy on the outside and not burnt, but the inside is sort of that melt-in-your-mouth type of texture and flavor. So you get this broad spectrum. It's not mushy. It's not hard. It's not crunchy. It's like a little bit of a combination of all three. Interesting. Right? And so for me... That's what I enjoy when I have a lot of time, and as you can understand, there's a lot of variables there versus just go turn it to six, hit the start button, yeah, come yeah, back yeah, out ten minutes later. Yeah. The you know the the skillet's perfectly you know perfectly hot across all of the burners, and now your cooking is nice and even. Yeah, literally, I
1: I kind of recalling. The times that I've cooked uh, utilizing charcoal and it's literally only on Airbnb vacations. <laughs> so like for me, like that was, I'm replaying the steps, but you're, you're right. And and that's like when you're on vacation, you have nothing but time to waste. You're reading a book or something like it becomes that enjoyable process. Um, anyway, exactly.
0: Yeah. And that's when you have time. So, but, but my nature has always been like time saving. Yeah. Right, because well, like I said, I let off with that... I don't like to cook. I like to eat, let's... and therefore I have to be good at. Yeah,
1: cooking. let's talk about the sourcing the quality quality foods then. Hey,
0: before we get oh, there, okay. yeah. this big bad boss showed
2: up in the backyard, and it's a Traeger. It's a smoker. It's a smoker. So Wally wanted to know about you know, is there digital heat? Is there this and there that? Oh, Wally, this is as scientific as you can get it. Right? Yeah, yeah,
1: no, I'm 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 very familiar with the what is it? Firewire. Yeah, the uh, technology. Sm- the smoker is
0: yeah uh, is off the hook. I think everything that you would geek out about, you know, cooking and tech. Because uh, I have literally looked at their APIs. Yeah, you have a really good segment that we'll talk about on the sourcing of quality foods with how you've integrated some technology. I don't want to spoil that. Um, but the Traeger or any smoker really, for that matter, I'd say the most important piece of technology, and that is the meat thermometer. Yeah. Right. And now the Traeger. Is not time efficient because usually you're doing a cook over a long period of time. Like, for example, this weekend I just cooked uh, ribs, six hours, mm-hmm. right? Seven hours total cook time from prep to finish. Okay. But six hour cook time. Okay. So you and, think. And where'd you source those ribs from out of curiosity? So I source those ribs. Uh, there's a, a, a place we'll get into that, but uh, oh, it's never a mind, local mind. butcher. Oh, cool. Um, so yeah, we'll talk about that here in a bit. Um, and I'll get into that, but it's Roosevelt Meat Company. And so, you know, uh, for me, the thing with the smoker is it takes practice. You have to have a constant commitment to it for a long period of time. You're constantly having to check in on it, make sure it's not dry, add some sauce into it. You know, basically maintain moisture levels is like the essence of smoking. And then there's all the variables about, like, what type of wood do you use? What flavor does that put off? And then not to mention the cooking and the cleanup, because what basically happens is in the bottom of the smoker, there's this little, um, basically think, like, oven that cooks the wood pellets. And so there's a torch down there that's just cooking the pellets, and so they're smoking. And so what basically happens is this thing can fill up with ash. So you basically, after a cook or two, have to disassemble your entire smoker, go in there with a vacuum, vacuum it all out, right clean everything all up and then you can go and smoke again so that's why i started with my favorite tool is the thing that saves me the most amount of time yeah it produces the best flavor consistently the most often right but there are very unique flavors that come from that charcoal Weber barbecue and that come from the smoker now you might say great alan i'm not a barbecue guy right well the skillet you can cook eggs you can cook bacon you can cook steaks, you can vegetables, cook vegetables, yeah. right? You, no. I mean, you can cook a multitude pancakes. of things You could do pancakes on it. I've I done know. it before. I know. They're amazing, too. It's like this, you know, best crispiness that you've ever had. But you had asked them there, like, hey, where did, where did I source the meat? Like, sourcing of quality foods. This is a really good conversation because I believe there is this intersection of um, cash or cost, and what is quality food and what is your opportunity to source those ingredients yeah
1: and i also want to throw this out there we live uh in northern california where we are extremely privileged farm to fork capital correct i mean most of our states well not most but a large per, per, uh, portion of our gdp i mean
0: is ag yeah and, and we're very we're fortunate about. to have a significant number of Um, you know, like uh, farmers markets and everything else. And so I have to look at quality is not going to be the same for everybody. It's going to be dependent upon your geography and it's going to be dependent upon, you know, what is the investment that you want to be making into your food, right? And then also how much time do you want to be spending? So, If you're saying, "Hey, I don't really have much of a means to go beyond my local grocery store," okay, I I would say, "Okay, that's great." If your local grocery store has, um, you know, meat that's there, and you're looking to buy meat, okay, try to buy it from reputable farmers. If uh, most of the meat. In grocery stores comes from very large commercial farming. And so I'll start with beef and then we'll go into some poultry and then we'll go into single ingredient foods. And so beef, if you can find grass-fed, grass-finished, that's obviously going to be your best. Although, I'll say this, it it doesn't taste the best. It is the most nutrient-dense, but some of the best-tasting meat is... Mm. Largely coming from very fatty, you know, cattle. That's not a healthy cattle, but it does produce a very good flavor. And now, so there's some people who are like steak connoisseurs and, you know, depending on what you feed the cattle, whether it's a uh, a grain diet or a grass diet. How amazing
1: how we have evolved to literally tell, like, make our food eat. Like we right. choose what our food eats right? to a degree. Like that is just insanity.
0: Make this animal more unhealthy because it tastes better when I eat it's it. And, and and so, so cool. if you're stuck in a place where all you can go is to your grocery store, yeah. I would be looking at when was it packaged, right? When was it processed? Look at the dates. Try to find something that's super recent. And that's on all meats. If you can, for poultry, find something that's pasture-raised, uh, that's going to make a big difference. The, the availability of nutrients and the nutrient density is going to be uh, a very large, especially in eggs. You're going to get a nice golden orange egg yolk versus like a very thin, you know, yellow looking yolk from like a egg and a, or a, a, a chicken in a cage on a commercial um, a poultry farm, right? And so those are some things that you can look at from a meat perspective. From your other ingredients, If you can buy organic when you have the availability, to, you should. And the reason why is is, as pesticides and contaminants in your food, organic foods have more restrictions on what can and cannot be put on them and how often they can be sprayed. Okay. And so you're going to be better off minimizing any pesticides or cross-contamination from any of your produce by buying it organic. If you're buying something that is a, a, a packaged food, um, I highly recommend going with a single-ingredient food. Um, most packaged foods are not single-ingredient foods. Can you give us an example of a, a single Yeah. Absolutely. So a box of Cheez-Its, okay? Well, I love them, and they taste amazingly good, and I, I don't eat them unless I'm absolutely dying to have a Cheez-It. But my point is there's plenty of <laughs> preservatives in that. If you look at the ingredient list, it's going to be very small- uh, and it's I'm sorry, it to be very large, large yeah. in terms of uh, the number of ingredients, ingredients. The text is going to be very small. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. And then when you look at a, a single ingredient food or a whole food that's packaged up in a box, like a really great example for a snack is a company called That's It. And they make these fruit bars. And literally the only thing that's in them is like two fruits. So like apple and strawberries or you know, mangoes and bananas or whatever and so it's like that's it. But I think and I think you can also
1: get away with that because there's active ingredients like molecularly in those you know in a strawberry that will allow them to you know you don't need caking agents and all these different types of things to you know hold your mold and emulsify the ingredient because it, it this one ingredient has all of these different chemicals in it obviously right? And you think uh, about I, it in
0: that I'm not a scientist and I don't think about it as like this Naturally, has these compounds. But like,
1: how how could you do something like it's harder to do that like at scale. Like with an RX bar, for example, they utilize the egg as a typical binder. Right,
0: Um, fruits you can do that because they have that correct. And so, uh, go with single ingredient foods as a goal, and then realize that there's not many snacks or prepackaged products that are there. And so, if you can keep the ingredient list about under five. As a general good rule of thumb you're usually getting a pretty good quality product a great example of this is popcorn okay so popcorn will usually have a seed oil like a canola oil or a palm oil it'll have some preservatives it'll have salt it'll have um, uh, some corn in there it'll have a uh, a, an ingredients list long of like some anti-caking uh, uh preservatives and also oh, not preservatives anti-caking ingredients and then also some preservatives versus there uh, are some some popcorn bags out there that they'll literally have uh ghee or coconut oil that they cook it in they'll have the corn itself because it's popcorn right and then they'll have whatever the flavoring is like a salt a himalayan salt or a cheese right And it's less than five ingredients. And so when... I I, I have this weird example of... uh, Never mind, never mind. I'll let you continue on. My bad. And so if you live in a place that, you know, you just have to go to your local grocery store and that's where you get your food from, these things are going to make you realize that the foods that you should be eating from your grocery store is maybe less than 10% of the foods that are actually there. Correct, yeah. And you'll realize that everything else is filled with either preservatives, or fillers, or it's going to have an ability to have a significant amount of cross contamination. And and the two forms of cross contamination that I'm really talking about is microplastics, anything that's heavily processed, like Cheez-Its, they found microplastics in Cheez-Its. And then if you're thinking about it from a pesticide perspective, or let's just say like generally an assembly line, right? There's a bunch of equipment that's manufacturing food. Let's say your child has a peanut allergy. That's a whole different topic for a different day, right? That processed food, if it also is in a facility that processes tree nuts and, uh, you know, other items, shellfish is another prime example for meats, you know, uh, what's the guarantee that there's not going to be some level of cross-contamination there? And so that's, those are my rules or just, you know, sourcing and buying quality products. And if I have the ability to, you know, go to a nicer place, like a butcher or to go to a farmer's market, those are great alternatives to find uh, really high quality products. Specifically, if you're doing a lot of cooking and you're really committed to this, buying a cattle or a half uh, a cow or a half a cow is a great way To or sheep, or or sheep, or or whatever animal you eat,
1: make that
0: land, it's a great way to source quality because then you can actually, you know, go out, you know, meet where the animal lives, you know, see the people, see how invested they are in the process of regenerative agriculture and everything else. Um, you know, and, and that's a way where you can source some quality products, but again, I think people's tracks are largely dictated by how much time do they have. What is the availability of food in their region, and uh, how much money do they have? right? It's like anything else you can you can put in as little or as much money as you want into sourcing those quality yeah. ingredients i would I would imagine back back before the internet,
1: you know people actually went to the fair and really purchased their meat, yeah. yeah i mean but I'll before buy the, that uh, cow over there that's a for, nice looking cow for the internet man and you know there's a lot of anyway i, I digress 4-h is a great organization. And you know this I'll, is where this is where know. i come in
2: uh i moved around a lot and i went to delaware high school and actually sorry before that franklin high franklin elementary and then Delora high school and i was just going to say 4-h was something that uh was very new being a new kid there's obviously so many things to like figure out I figured out that I was living with a bunch of farmers.
0: (laughs) So, um,
2: yeah, City Slicker sort of turned into me uh, showing up when the butcher shows up and this good friends of mine having their livestock sort of sold off and cashed out and, yeah, all butchered up right there in the... The front lawn, you know, big puddle of blood and everything, and and so it was really eye opening. But also, I saw this kid get six grand for a pig that he raised. You yeah, know? Uh, uh, my wife's sister, same thing. So.
1: I, I, I ate her sheep.
0: Yeah, yeah. First Sh-
1: shepherd's spy, I didn't know. And it was like <laughs> uh, it was a weird, It was an oddity, but it, you you know it puts it in perspective to to know where your food
2: comes from. Yeah, yeah. To four four that's H. Like, that's all I was going to yeah. say. Is that four H is a good
0: and if you have an ability to do that. <laughs> I think having a relationship with your food, especially if you eat an animal-based diet, I think it's very healthy. You know, and, and they're and they're finding out now that you know the optimal human diet is one that's significantly high in protein, and um, you know salt is actually a very big, big deal in the you know healthy diet because of electrolytes and. Everything You're saying in else. a positive way, in a positive yeah, way, okay, yeah. But what they're finding is. You know, the preservatives, the pesticides, these things are largely wreaking havoc on the endocrine system, which regulates your hormones, amongst other items. And so, you know, going with the route of like at least how I've been taught to select food and food ingredients, right, that's going to help minimize your potential risk of, um, you know, uh, bringing foods into your house. That have an ability to uh, disrupt your endocrine system, and specifically on that point, there's a dirty dozen list. A dirty dozen list. Sorry for not enunciating that. Um, strawberries are at the top of that, right? Because a strawberry sits on the ground, and uh, they spray pesticides on it all the time. Spinach is number two, right? Uh, because spinach is a nice leafy green. Insects eat it. And so uh, a great way that you can also not only source these foods, but you can also prepare them correctly is by washing them and cleaning them thoroughly. Correct. And, and also maybe even talk about
1: uh, like, for example, you're making mention to um, vegetables and leafy greens, things like that. Things that are typically, um, you know, insects love that. Um, but, you know, maybe even taking a look at other alternatives like hydroponically grown uh, vegetables that are in a closed system, right? So they're not necessarily in or a greenhouse. Well, that that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're out of the elements. And to this a certain is, degree. this
0: is one of the things that like gets me like um, sort of um, uh, ambitious. Or I shouldn't say ambitious, but optimistic about society. Some of the vertical indoor gardening that's happening, especially in urban centers, you know, where they're not having to deal with this monocrop agriculture pesticide. It, it, problems, it's amazing. It's 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 really great for sourcing quality what, ingredients. Five gallon bucket and a three
1: D printer, like a five gallon bucket and some white spray paint. Got to have some PLA and and I, I made our three ventures logo that I could be printed. That you put little strawberries in. Yeah, that's, and, and, and it's so badass. It, it's three feet by three feet, just really small. But you know, for our office, it's just a fun little thing. All circulating, just runs a little little pump in there. Has a raspberry. Well, it's an Arduino actually, but. Um. Yeah, it's really fun, right? But that type of concept helps. You know, you can go to a grocery store, buy a lemon, you know, throw it in a bag, put it in a you know cool dark place, put some you know cinnamon like our our guy does on on
0: YouTube, and then grow this yourself. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can you can literally do that um, but speaking of sourcing quality foods you've automated a lot of this in your household can you talk about that uh, I'm not necessarily it's it's not necessarily
1: sourcing quality foods because it's coming off of Amazon Prime and Whole Foods but um, or like Costco via instacart um, but that's where I source my food from
0: right um, well, I think most people probably source their food there who live in urban environments yeah you know, um, but but
1: I mean I'll take I'll take certain things like if I find uh, like I'll or I'll order like cherry bomb tomatoes or like some special grape or some special unique unique high uh, highly crossbred amazing unique vegetables uh, I'll take their seeds and I'll just like regrow them because yeah. it's
0: fun because you, you can because you can and I, I having a good relationship with quality food is um. It's very humbling because you realize that the foods you eat literally have seeds in them to reproduce, especially if they're vegetables. Yeah. Right. Or if you know, you're know you eating an animal, having uh, some form of re- you know regenerative agriculture. Yeah. I
1: think I think, uh, I think uh, some government agency, I think it was uh, Department of Energy, I believe, or, or one of those um, just uh, this is many years ago, uh, like. In the Iceland area, I don't remember if it's Antarctica or Iceland, one of those, right, they tried to keep it, like, a perfect, like, habitat for scientific research, and then they ended up finding, like, it was covered up, but, like, somebody had, like, tomatoes were growing out there. Um, and it was covered up until it was declassified, but they literally classified that as something. But it's, it's such an interesting, interesting thing that there's life cycle propagation. And I mean, like a tomato seed may only go for what, 20, 30, I, there's a certain life cycle of that plant, obviously. Right. Um, but it's, it's amazing how mother nature just keeps pumping them out.
0: Yeah. And you know, so when you talk about the sourcing and quality foods, those are the things that I look for. Um, you know, Curtis could probably come on and talk a lot more about, you know, specific health benefits and seed oils and um, uh, linoleic acids with grass fed, grass finished beef versus, you know, a, a corn wheat soy fed beef. Um, you know, that's not really my cup of tea, but those are the things that we talked about that I, I use to source, um, you know, the quality ingredients in my household. And then also when you bring them home, we talked about earlier, especially meats or anything that you're going to cook in bulk. Um, that you're going to do for like a meal prep or those types of items. Or to preserve for later because no one wants to waste money on food and throw it away. Right. Uh, It's really important to, um, you know, uh, marinate those or pre-season them or those types of items uh, so that it's easier to cook. Now, I don't do anything on making food last longer because uh, I at least think that over the years I've been really disciplined in like pre-planning and selecting the types of recipes that I like. Like every time I cook a new recipe that I like that I think I could cook in bulk, I print that out and I add that to my uh, a recipe folder that we have. Oh, that's cool. So right? I,
1: use, I use Jira for that.
0: Yeah, perfect. But
1: yeah, same thing. So you're keeping track of them. I we used to use Pinterest, but then after one of our employees got his Pinterest account taken down, I was like, I'm not putting my eggs in that basket.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so now I have a physical copy, so nobody can go back and change it. right? Yeah. And um, you know, so when I go shopping, if I'm gonna be doing uh, like a bulk prep or a bulk meal prep, um, I know that okay, I, I want to cook these four or five meals. I try to pick meals that are. Uh, sharing the same base ingredients. Okay. And by same base ingredients I could, you know, potato, um, a certain type of meat, whether that's chicken or beef or poultry, doesn't matter, um, or a rice or a vegetable, you know, whatever your diet is that you're doing, I, I try to pick ingredients that are commonly used. And then maybe like we talked about earlier earlier, the texture or the seasoning is different, right? Uh, or the cooking met- method slightly varies. And so for me, pre-prepping those when we bring them home from the grocery store and then getting them in the fridge and the freezer, that saves and in- that saves so much so much time and I cannot express like how important that is to, you know, put into your process. Yeah. The but other thing um, too is I I don't do much on the preservative fronts of making vegetables and fruits last longer. Oh, see, that's one of the things that I will
1: do if I get like green onions or something like that. Or, you know, I'll I'll put them in a thing of water and make them last, I don't know, a couple weeks. Really? Yeah. And, And like dill or just certain ingredients I'll put in water. This is an easy way just to preserve their life cycle. And if you do it, if you do water and in the fridge, just it amps it up to the next level. But in my kitchen, I also have like a bunch of these like hanging planters where I literally have green onions that are growing right now, and I cut them every week, and then I just chop that up and I prep that.
0: So I can take a green onion and put it in water in the fridge, mm-hmm. and it will keep it nice and fresh and crunchy. Yeah, crunchy. Yep, hundred percent. Because I always, you know, it's always so disheartening. You have to be conscious. To make some eggs in the morning. Yeah. You know, to make a nice breakfast, and I'm like, ooh, it'd be really nice to put a. Nice little you know, thing is shies at the top, and I go and I pull it out, and it's just like this whittled nasty green onion. So I just yeah. cut two thirds of it off and take the things closest to the base. I didn't know that. Yeah,
1: I yeah. Didn't know that. Um, but if you if you don't put it in the fridge, um, when I cut the ones that are on our wall, um, it will like leak.
0: What's the thing with cinnamon and lemon you mentioned? Earlier? Oh,
1: cinnamon just uh, it inhibits uh, bacterial growth. Really? Yeah. Yeah, like I also started on my like lemon trees and stuff. I did like the olive oil, water, and dish soap as a way of just keeping the bugs. They just slide right off. It's cut down on like the aphids on the roses and stuff. But I, again, I'm a
0: huge citrus fan. I have yeah. tons of. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think a nice lemon zest on top of many things can go a long way. Yeah, you mentioned this earlier. You you have to have the acidity in there. About Balance like it out. yeah, if somebody is wanting to do some meal prep and they're new to this, right? They're probably gonna f- feel like anything else, like it's gonna be overwhelming. They don't know what to do, they've it's, never it, done it before. It's overwhelming
1: for even my own self. I haven't done, like, I, I, I've done it a couple times, but then it gets thrown, thrown away because like, oh, well, now I'm gonna make this weird fettuccine dish, or I'm gonna go try this, you know, Yeah. you know, so if you have that, um, if you're not really regimented with it, it becomes uh, a bit of, or you have variability. You don't know if you're going to be out with your friends or you're more sociable or everyone's. But you're you're a family. You're cooking for a family.
2: yeah. Yeah. Or if you're a young man and you're or woman and you're impulsive, definitely hard to like you said, Wally, if you have three meals that are, you know, stacked up waiting for you and you've already polished through whatever the first three. Yeah. It's pretty easy to be like, hey. Food burnout and I'm going to order something. You know what I mean? And being me, a snacker. It happens to me so much, man. I throw so much food instead when
0: I do the of And this is why so I have found for, for our household, our best approach to meal prep is not actually meal prep in a traditional sense. It is I eat two meals a day prior to getting home, right? Actually, I Actually, eat four meals a day. One breakfast, first lunch, second lunch, and dinner, right? So I eat both lunches at work. And if I'm at work five days a week, that's 10 meals. Katie, my wife, if she eats, she usually eats one a week or one a day, five days a week. So we know we have to cook 15 meals at work. But what I have found is when I was cooking 15 meals a week, there were always that two or three that didn't get eaten. And it was always, oh man, I'm tired of that we've had that, like you said, Scott, the burnout. And so for me, what I realized was, Oh, okay. I need to cook like seven to 10 meals in a meal prep. And then those remaining, you know, five to eight meals. What I do is when I do the meal prep, I cook the meat that we're going to have with that ingredient or whatever the main recipe or the main ingredient is in the other recipes we want to cook that way if you do want to have something different at night but to save money and to eat in and to you know uh, know what's exactly in your food you have all most or I shouldn't say all but most of the heavy lifting of the cook done
1: yeah that makes sense
0: and so like one of my favorite meals to have is this bowl it's got a little bit of rice jasmine rice because I like that specifically I love the flap steak or the flank steak, depending on where you get it. They're, they're different, but, you know, sometimes they're used interchangeably. And a little bit of asparagus chopped up into pieces. Money. Yeah. I love that, that in sense. a bowl. Yeah. And so if you think about it, like, it's super easy to cook rice. You have a rice cooker. You can cook it in a pot in, you know, 10 minutes. Um, also, the asparagus is really easy to sear and just give it a nice, crispy, crunchy flavor. Yeah. Or or blanch it. So if, uh, yeah, or blanch it. So if I have that meat cooked and prepped, more than half of my cook time and my prep time is gone. Yeah. And so now when I do the meal prep, I try to think about this. If I'm already going to have the skillet dirty outside, needing to get cleaned off, et cetera. Oh, yeah. Why am I not just doing more cooking at that time? 100%. Yeah. And so now it's...
1: Such a great time saver.
0: Right. And now it's less about meal prep in terms of prepping all these meals. And it's more about... Bulk ingredients that you can use throughout the week if you want to have these dinners or snacks. Like, yeah, it's so great to just, you know, have a couple pieces of meat or whatever else, a high protein snack. Uh, that way, you're not going to a bag of chips or whatever else. Yeah. Um. So that that's what I have found on like uh some of the bulk prep strategies, and also not wasting food, but being able to save some time you know when Katie's like hey let's let's cook it let's cook some you know some dinner together tonight and so yeah. you know, we're hanging out as a family in there and it's like i can i can turn out a dinner real quick because now i don't need an hour to cook i need 20 minutes yeah
2: no it,
1: it makes a ton of sense Alan, yeah.
2: can i can i ask real quick what is your number one meal prep uh you know meals sound like i heard you just give the example of like a flap steak and rice and like asparagus would would you say that that's a good Example for someone who's like trying to literally copy and paste what you're talking about. uh,
0: Yeah. Specifically. And i like to marinate that flap steak or that flank steak with like a Korean beef barbecue type of marinade. And it's this really nice sort of teriyaki bowl type of flavor where you get that nice juicy steak, but with the lightness of rice and the freshness of asparagus. Right. And so, um, that, that is a, a a really good, quick and easy uh, type a, of meal I'm bomb. hungry. Yeah,
1: <laughs>
2: M- meal prep. I have I have another segue to this. Not to cut you off, but that's what I needed to hear. The next thing I needed to hear is for protein. What would you say that your like top three or two, um, this protein meal meal base uh, meal prep sort of bases? So I heard you say chicken thighs, chicken breasts, flap steak, like can I write those down for top three or w- would you like to make oh, amendments oh yeah,
0: yeah my top top three for me ingredients for high protein um or, if, or just you meal, can get or just your a, meal prep yeah. uh, if well okay if I'm going high protein yeah okay and, it, and, I, and and the meal prep I do I want it to taste good right yeah i'm gonna try to find a grass-fed grass finished stew meat So stew meat is usually like a bunch of little cuts of all the different cuts on a cow that you're supposed to use in like stews and everything else. But what most people don't know is if you slow cook stew meat, it's still tender versus if you cook it really fast, it can be tough. And so my favorite thing to do is to get all that stew meat, and it's in all these random shaped like little cubes. Yeah, because then,
1: then you also have a, a higher call it yeah, yeah, yeah collagen. Yeah, gonna, right. You,
0: you,
1: that really allows it to really break down the inter, intermuscular parts.
0: I mean, I I, stew. I don't know the science behind it, but I do know and, it tastes good when I do it like this. I put it in the bag and I marinate it. Now doesn't it like turn like a gelatin s all right, anyway,
1: continue on. No stew meat does not. No, um, the, no the the intramuscular fat. My bad. But anyway,
0: continue on. Uh, so, the uh, when I when I get the stew meat in the bag, the oh, I'm going to murder the name. Worcestershire sauce? Worcestershire? Worcestershire. Worcestershire, yeah. Worcestershire, Worcestershire sauce. Yeah, yeah. When just, you see it in the don't, grocery don't store. Just
2: don't and you'll say it right. <laughs> yeah. Worcestershire. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> it's in there. So he gets that in a bag. I
0: get, and, and that is a very nice marinade. You could take literally just that, put it in a bag, some salt and pepper, a little bit of olive oil, let mm. that thing marinate in there for a day or two. Gr- this is grass-fed, grass-finished stew meat. Stew meat. And then slow cook it in a skillet, right? And then when you slow cook it in a skillet, if you're doing it for meal prep or you're doing it for bulk, undercook it. And then that way when you go to reheat it, right, it's not going to be overcooked because you're not going to cook it to completion. And then you're going to recook it. You're going to cool it down in the fridge and then you're going to recook it when you go to reheat it. I will slow cook it and then undercook it, right? And if you're working with a quality meat, grass-fed, grass-finished beef, And beef doesn't have the issues of undercooking like poultry does. Then you can put those into containers. Yeah, that's how how the airlines do it. They have a pretty, uh, it's very well known
1: how they, you know, package up and cook their foods to a specific temperature and
0: doneness for that, you know, last mile. um, And I don't think anybody's bragging about eating airline food unless you're flying like Qatar or something. No, no, but, 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 but
1: no. There's a science to it. Yeah, there's a
0: science to it. 100%. That's what I was trying to say. And the most
1: optimal bite going through this process if by doing that that's a critical yeah. step.
2: Undercooking it, Alan, you're right. Because if it's overcooked, then that's you just it, that's bought stew step. meat that's all tough. And right. you're not you're just gonna <laughs> yeah. waste it. it literally ruins everything. So, so, that, so.
0: Yeah. that is my favorite. And so that with like a little bit of rice and some veggies or just veggies, like that is a a really good all around meal that I would say is like my number one favorite. And because when you eat it at work, it's gonna have plenty of flavor. It's going to be enough protein and it's also going to have, you know, some carbohydrates and everything else. So if you're going to go work out or you're going to go to a kid's sports game, or you're going to go out and expend some energy, it's just very well-rounded. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, that's one of my favorite. The other bowl is one of my favorite. Now I will also do this on days when I'm really busy, like mentally, um, chicken thighs, Although chicken thighs aren't the best in terms of like protein density and, and, and micronutrients, chicken thighs have fat in them. And so it usually gives them a really good flavor. Um, and they're usually easier to cook because they're thinner than chicken breasts. And most people know you have to cook your, your chicken to 165 degrees to an internal temp to get rid of salmonella and other items like that by the way, when I did all this culinary, I was serve safe certified and all that other stuff. So I actually, you know, I ran a student kitchen. I had to know about foodborne illnesses. I had to know about uh, cooking and prep work and all this other stuff. And so for me, you know, the chicken thighs, when I have a high work day or like a lot of meetings, the chicken thighs are just a good protein. It's got some fat in there. You can get a nice sauce on it. Like there's barbecue sauces out there that you know, have two or three, maybe four ingredients. You know, they're not loaded with high fructose corn syrup or seed oils. It's usually like molasses, some mustard, uh, brown sugar, <laughs> uh, a sauce I can't enunciate, right? <laughs> and, and and anyway, a little brown sugar. Yeah, yeah, and and that's and that's totally fine yeah. to to have on there, right? Or, you know, you it's totally fine to have on yeah. there um, because remember, it's it's about high protein meals. It's about minimizing the disruptors to your endocrine system, which are going to be the seed oils, which are going to be the you know, the microplastics or the pesticide contaminants that are found in processed foods. And you know, so that's a really good snack that I like. I'm also going to be... Um, Hold on, that's not a snack. That's a meal. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a meal. Yeah, I'll, eat, I'll uh, eat three or four. I'm just talking uh, about meal yeah, prep yeah. and how to
2: save money and what to buy. And so if your number Ground one beef. thing was gr- grass-fed... Grass finished uh, stew meat, and then I, you know, under prepare it to a certain degree just because there's other phases in the meal prep. Um, then you also talked about a flap steak with a, a little bit of a teriyaki flavor, so yeah, like rice bowl. Yep. So I was just looking for like a third meal prep because I, I, let's say I'm new with it and I don't want to get food burnout because I am at times impulsive, like Wally, where it's like, hey. I've had this for three days. I need something different. You know what I mean? So yep. if I don't do what you're going to say now, I might just end up making sort of like half-assed
0: meals. So my, my next favorite one are tacos. Okay. So um, most people might not know this, but ground beef is actually one of the most nutrient-dense meats that you can get because ground beef encapsulates many of the uh, uh, muscle groups on the cow plus ligaments and some other items. And so they have, through the ligaments and everything else, they have a lot of uh, uh, bioavailability of uh, the nutrients that are in there, and they're very nutrient-dense. And so as you know, tacos can be made with any type of meat. And so my favorite, uh, or I shouldn't say my favorite, but one of my favorite meals that's quick and easy, you can get ground beef. And I will usually try to uh, mix in, if you, if you like black beans, uh, or you like some cheese or anything else, you can cook the ground beef, drain the fat out, and then you can incorporate either some tomatoes or some uh, beans or anything that you like in your tacos, right? Some cheese. Mix it all in there. Put it in containers. I use glass Tupperware containers. so you can put it in a nice container, right? And now you've done all the heavy lifting. And so, like, if I'm at home, now guess what all you need If you're at home, you should put a little bit of butter in that. Remember my cast iron skillet pan, right? Because it's easy to clean and you constantly season. It's got good flavor. Now just put a little bit of butter in that. Boom. Three or four street taco tortillas in there, right? Once they're kind of fried up, sprinkle some Parmesan on top. Mm. Hey. Right? Flip them. Sprinkle some more Parmesan on top. Boom. Pull them off. You know, you heat up your meat, whether it's in the microwave or whatever, depending on how much cleanup or time you have. Put some meat on top maybe a little bit of cilantro or green onions or lime. Some, some pulled spinach, right? A little lime, boom, tacos. And now you have literally saved yourself all that time. Now let's go back to, okay, well, I eat a mostly animal-based diet, a lot of fruit, and, 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 I'll, and I'll factor in some uh, vegetables here and there. But, you know, I, I have found that uh, a very high-protein diet is what works very well for me. And so when I go to the skillet, I don't just cook a pound of ground beef. I cook four or five, maybe even six. And so that's what we talked about earlier. The size really does matter. Hello. Yeah. And um, you can season the beef in different ways. And so like I might do a carne asada one, right? I might do a like traditional steak type of flavor. Like, like a Montreal steak or, you know, something that's kind of like a salt-heavy type of seasoning. Um, or I can go the other route, which is, like, you know, fairly spicy, right? And it just depends on what you're going to put it on, etc. Um, And so uh, for me, you know, that's what I look for. Ground bison's also just as good. Um, don't discount the lamb. Lamb is really good, but lamb's tough to cook because it's usually a little bit more fatty. Mm, oh, yeah, okay. Same thing with duck. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, those are, those are like some of my really quick strategies, but I can say this about recipes. Um, I love to cook. And so when I have that time, I want to go and I want to explore something that I think I could put my twist on and I-